Mike Ovanen, one and all, and welcome to the Literary Baptists, where we discuss important and wonderful works of literature from the perspective of confessional Baptists. I'm the entire panel is here once again. Nick, Zach, and Maddie, how's everyone this evening? Good. I'm here. Man, you guys are the worst. I'm here, man. I'm here. Yeah. I'm fantastic. I was just, Nick looked like he was going to say something a little sooner than he did. <laughs> uh, present. That, it was the face of are someone who has actually three things they could say, but is trying to decide which one of them to say. Yeah, and I decided against all of them. <laughs> it's that it's that time of night where yeah. yeah, you start you start doubting. Parts of them was say. conviction that prevented me. So oh, uh, oh sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I just wanna wish everyone a happy Noahic Covenant Awareness Month. <laughs> <laughs> Make the rainbow great again. <laughs> You promise not to flood us anymore. <laughs> yes, that's true. And we're going to, we're spending uh, one of the first evenings of, of a Noahic Covenant Awareness Month talking about uh, a very morally conflicted individual in, uh, in Tolkien's work. Um, you know, one of, I, so actually, now that I mentioned that, one of the things that annoys me the most about, uh, some of the things people say when they say they don't like Tolkien's work is that uh, everything everything's good and evil, and all the characters are are cleanly divided between guys that are purely evil and guys that are purely good. And uh, I, I, even though that happens, that not every character is like that. There's quite a few uh, gray area people. Uh, a few I could name, and a few we'll we'll end up talking about in the course of the book, but. I think Feanor is one of those guys. I'm just going to put my cards on the table now. Uh, I think he's a very conflicted individual. And so uh, our chapter tonight is sort of the beginning of his adventures and uh, and the things he he did. Uh, and, and yeah, the, only the beginning of it. There's much more to do, but uh, I think he's uh, I think he's an interesting character. Uh, it's chapter six of the Silmarillion of Feanor and the Unchaining of Melkor, aka Morgoth, and and Feanor is the guy that that gave Morgoth that name, so it's more of a nickname for for that bad boy. Anyone want to venture a uh, an initial gloss of of what goes on in this chapter? There's a few different beats. I have a comment <clears throat> on okay. the second sentence of this chapter. <laughs> um, so I guess it's kind of the first one, too. It's talking about the Eldar and everything. And then it says this was the noontide of the blessed realm. Um, and then later it also refers to the noontide of of the elves. I think it, it says those things. And and I was kind of thinking about it like they they peak fairly early, it seems. Uh, and then it's a lot of a long downhill. And I'm wondering if the, lo the if, long defeat. Yeah. 
if I mean, does Tolkien think the same way about people? Uh, and if so, like, what would you consider to be our time? Do we have like two parter with, uh, you know, I don't know, creation and then <laughs> that going to Noah? Like, do we have like multiple parts? Like, do we have that kind of same situation? Do we have a height? Do we have a period? I guess Jesus would probably be the highest point. But also there was a lot of other stuff going on at the same time that I wouldn't consider to be the noontide. So that was my question is, do we have an analog or do you think Tolkien would have one uh, for real life history uh, to the noon noontide? Well, it's it's kind of it, it almost seems like the opposite for us of a noontide. So we go. We start at creation and go down until we get to the cross and then we start the climb back up right that post mill so <laughs> um tolkien obviously was not right <laughs> there was there's a rise and fall of the society but you see just that like a, just history. like a rise and fall of mars hill yeah absolutely so um, we have like a six o'clock yeah and like yeah. right now we're like probably nine ten ten o'clock we're we're trying to get back we're in the late hours of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's getting brighter. But noon's yeah. coming again. <laughs> uh, I just thought I thought it was an interesting analogy to to compare a day to like all of history mm -hmm. uh or or an epoch of history and um I think it says the the thing it says more is is how he views the elves. Like if the elves are peaking at this point, then the then the the age of men is much longer and historically interesting than we would normally think. Like a lot of times when we read this work, we're thinking, oh, you know, uh, by the time of the third age and the events of the War of the Ring, you know, uh, it's still the age of elves because elves are still in Middle Earth. And the age of men is coming once the last elf leaves. But really, you know, once we leave, once we leave the first age, the age of the, the age of the elves is donezo. Um, you know, once spoiler alert, uh, once Numenor is established, like men do run the show. Like there are still elves in Middle Earth, but they're they're all in their little enclaves. And even even the high king of the elves, you know, he still just lives in a particular hidden woodland realm. So um, definitely not the grandeur and power that that was held by the Eldar at this point, you know, in Amon. So they were greatly diminished even by the by the time of the Second Age. And really, they're helping men in their efforts as they, you know, take dominion. So I, I do kind of see it interestingly as like, you know, age, like creation, the age of creation, fall of man, right? With the with the dip of the elves after the noontide and then the rise of men and then, you know, as a uh, like a redemptive arc almost. It's like those ocean waves that Galadriel rides. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's as she right. swims the sundering seas. Yeah, it's almost like, but like uh, reading it, 
it's almost like he presupposes the the fall of any society. Like you're gonna have a peak and then it's downhill. Like every society falls. Yeah. Even well, yeah. like what's why why was there a I mean, I know Melkor was chained, but you get the, by your boy. You get the feeling that there's like the possibility of corruption in even in the the undying lands, you know, where there's no evil, but you still have Fionor and his desires. And even going back to what, you know, Ale did, um, not that he was corrupted, but the the possibility is always there. So it's like, where does that come from? I don't. Problem. I don't think it's problem an accident that, 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 that this is called the the noontide of the Eldar, at the time that that Feanor is figuring out how to make greater and greater jewels. So like his work is his, his craftsmanship is increasing, and then at the same time, Melkor is released from his captivity. You know, I think there's there's a things are peaking, and then and then something else is happening that that hits the trough. And kind of brings everything down. Yeah. And we can unpack that, but I, I think those those two things together, the confluence of those things, which which are in the title, like the title I think is the title for the reason, because um, you know, of Feanor and the unchaining of Melkor. There's like a weird like at this point, you know, Feanor isn't out outright doing outright evil things. He's, you know, er, approaching the zenith of his power at the same time that that Melkor is regaining some of his power that had been taken away from him. I don't know. I think I think there's some interesting interplay there. To kind of change the subject, but also going back to what Zach said, I do think that this idea of like an early peak followed by the long decline is it's actually similar to what happens with nations, with um, with a lot of organizations, with denominations like i i feel like i see this happen quite often like you have this early peak and it's like yeah things are going great and then it's like oh you're going to compromise you're going to compromise i forget what it's called but there's like a rule about uh political organizations where if it's not like explicitly conservative it'll switch and become against i forget what it is but it's like oh yeah you have to have it explicitly in there or it's going to change very mm -hmm. quickly mm -hmm. um and uh and i think that that's that's pretty similar to a lot of organizations as well i feel like i see it a lot with denominations and uh and oh, associations yeah. yeah so yeah in my uh so i've been reading uh my biography for the reading challenge is uh stephen nichols rc sproul biography and i was listening to the first few chapters while i was on the mower this week and he was talking about how um, the, the like the liberal drift of the the PC USA, um, and uh, um, and and how like that so that had all affected the the seminaries and everything like that, and then and then of course that's going to flow into the creation of the PCA, which is what uh, um, which is what Sproul uh, was part of 
uh, once he was in the ministry. And then now we can see what's going on in the PCA now, which isn't that much dissimilar to the initial drift of the PCUSA. Everything old is new again. The same, yeah. the same drift is affecting the organization that came out of the drift from before. Yeah. The SBC and, and, got and to Baptist, do it twice. Yeah. Baptists have their own, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They, they've had it twice in the same organization. Yeah. Uh, which was kind of nice to have the, the conservative resurgence, but wasn't long lasting. <laughs> Not long enough. Uh, yeah. How many more times can the Phoenix rise from its own ashes? I, I think I think it's done. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go back though to your earlier question, Nick, about like the rise and fall of early human history or whatnot. I was just thinking of like pre-flood. Um time frame i'm like we just don't have a whole lot of facts about what happened it was a pretty long span of time and we have like just a couple chapters that deal with you know that time period but um at the end of chapter four in genesis it talks about where adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name seth for she said god has appointed for me another offspring instead of abel for cain killed him to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. To me, that sounds like a peak, or at least the beginning of a peak um, for the antediluvian time period pre-flood. Because um, obviously, they get to the point at some point where it's nothing but wickedness. Mm -hmm. But it's it's... I know Tolkien's not trying to do any sort of one for one thing here. So in some sense, you kind of get a hint of like they're kind of in the Garden of Eden, but it's obviously already a little bit tainted. But there is that element in this chapter of Melkor being there in the Blessed Realm and then being kind of set free and trying to um, manipulate people and and deceive people, which is obviously a serpent in the garden. If possible, even vibe. the elect. Right. Is Fanor the elect? If possible. If possible. <laughs> you were the best of us, for a thousand years. It's the millennial reign. You know, it's interesting. So, you know, when we think about when we think about Amon, you know, the undying lands, whatever you want to call it, depending on, you know, how how familiar you are with the Lord of the Rings, um, we often think of and I've even said it on this podcast, you know, that this is basically heaven on earth. And I there's something you said, Zach, a little bit earlier, you know, uh, that there can there can be evil that happens in Amon. Um, and I was thinking about that as I was rereading this chapter, you know, we actually, we have somebody in, so in the place that we call the undying lands in the third age, we actually have an elf who dies in Amon right at the beginning of this chapter. And, uh, it had never hit me before the way that it hit me when I was reading to, to get ready for this episode, but, 
that that shatters that whole category that I think the movie set up for us for sure. Um, you know, we always think of elves as as you know undying, you know, eternal life people. Um, they're the ones that are that are supposed to live forever, and yet we have here a, a, a she elf um, who dies, and it, it specifically says passes away. Um, so whatever that means for elves, but, um, I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. I had kind of forgotten about that. How can you die in Amon? <laughs> it is connected to Fanor's birth though. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it's that he is evil he is one of those people that that falls completely on that side and somehow that messed things up or if it's because he's such a strong character like you know reading something like medieval or even early modern there are things that don't really like make sense like if if a, if a mother died in childbirth today we wouldn't assume that that child is going to be like evil or super strong or something like that but mm-hmm. when you're reading something that's like medieval it's like oh yeah that dude's going to like turn out to be crazy in some way um if if like his mother dies in childbirth like there's just always something that is you know that it means something and with tolkien you can also kind of assume that too mm-hmm. And I don't know whether it is strength and power um, or if it's evil. One thing that I do think he kind of flips on this one, though, is that with uh, with that death in in some of the medieval ones, you'd think like, oh, the father's going to hate the guy is going to hate his son now. His father's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, great. He's a good guy, you know, loves him (laughs) and they're friends. Yeah. and so it it is kind of flipped a little bit and it's different than what you might expect. So I never know what he's going to do. There's certainly <laughs> like a bit of, um, I'm always tying stuff back to the Bible. I don't know. I'm like pushing it through and trying to it make is, it work. It is kind of what we do. Yeah. It's yeah. a good trait. But uh, <laughs> as long as I guess you're doing it right. But um, <laughs> I was thinking of Jacob and Rachel and how yeah. Benjamin you know, is born and then she dies. And Benjamin is his, obviously Joseph was his favorite, whom he think is, he thinks is dead already. His replacement but, favorite. <laughs> yeah, his second runner up. But uh, so, so there you see an example of a father, you know, favoring children from a particular mother. And then also Benjamin, because, you know, Rachel had died. So mm-hmm. Jacob, <clears throat> you know, has a pattern of favoring people. He could have mm-hmm. not liked Benjamin, but he certainly did. Yeah. Um, so there's that, but like also, and also saying, ma- major rift between the sons of one mother and the, the sons of right. another mother too. Yeah. Similarly. Sorry. I didn't yeah. want to interrupt you. No, you, I did. I did it. <laughs> I didn't want to, but I did it. You could just edit it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> too much work. We don't do that here. <laughs> Um, but just the ominous, it just, it's totally foreshadowing something bad is happening with the death of a mother, you know, mothers are life giving. And obviously like historically that's been, um, 
like the number one cause of death for women mm-hmm. um, for a large part of history is childbirth related death. Um, but like Nick was saying, you know, in stories there, it's just, there's a significant purpose for that. And it certainly gives me, I'm just hard pressed to think that it's not ominous and about Feanor, like the nature of Feanor, especially how uh, Finway says like, can't, don't these lands heal you or aren't these healing lands? And she's like, she can't recover mm-hmm. and she passes away. It's just something there for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like bearing fan or wore her out and made her weary to the point that she couldn't see a future to go on into. Like a, like a per, not a purposelessness, but like a like a hope, a, a kind of hopelessness, um, that made her weary. Now, in the passing away thing, of course, you know that that's different than what we say when we say someone passed away, because in in Middle Earth, elves actually have could potentially be reincarnated back into Middle Earth, as well. Um, it happens with a character that we meet in the Silmarillion who shows up in the Lord of the Rings. Um, so we know of at least one occasion where it happened. But I, I would I would tend to think that for for that change that happened in her, I think she would refuse to to reenter Middle Earth as well. She okay. just chill, chill out in the halls of Mandos, far far away from Feanor, probably. One other thing that is is that her body is still there mm-hmm. um and unwithered un, un, yeah uncorrupted and it reminds me of um you know when i, I read bead uh the yeah so venerable history. yeah the venerable bead. God, man that, that dude was so and venerable he was <laughs> and and whenever they were trying to determine whether somebody was a saint and they're like mm-hmm. man we don't know if this guy's a saint they dig him up and if he had like corrupted, if his body had decomposed, that or if if his body wasn't decomposed, that's when they knew that guy's a saint. He's great. And I don't know. Or he's that, a vampire. We don't really or he's know. He's a vampire. <laughs> he didn't still seem out. to think so. But do you like the Dwight? Of- do you like the Dwight Schrute funeral thing where you just like shoot him a few times to make sure they're dead? <laughs> just to make sure uh yeah i'm not i'm not gonna pass any judgment on on these people from uh, like 1400 years ago but um on their sainthood based on how decomposed they were um but that is kind of a it's a marker of like saintliness holiness uh back then and i i'm guessing that he maybe included some of that in this uh, to show that she was a good person. She's yeah, it's definitely is very uh, Catholic of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was, I was going to say something about that if we didn't get that far. And he was, and, and Finway was so dutiful, you know, like he kept visiting the grave for a while, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. There was a decline in the duty as well. There was kind of <laughs> like this this early peak and then it kind of declined. 
I bet you Feanor still did though. Because he definitely resented his his dad remarrying. Definitely yeah. resented it. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of feels like Fanor like kind of just like sucked the life force out of her though. I had a I had a hard time. I don't know. I can't decide if it's like she just gave all of herself and all of her energy into him or he like took it. I don't know. She kind of does a prophetic thing where she says, hold me blameless in this and in all that may come after. So yeah. It's like she's kind of like, hey, <laughs> heads up. <laughs> this is going to go bad. It's interesting, too, because when I first read it, you know, I should have known better. But the first time I read this, I was just like, oh, everything of herself. Because as like a mom, you you do that. Like, it's kind of what you do. Mm-hmm. But now that I know what comes later, it's like, oh, you see the foreshadowing come through here real strong. It is indeed unhappy, said Muriel, and I would weep if I were not so weary. But hold me blameless in this and in all that may come after. Whew. That's, some, that's a really despairing last speech. Because then she goes to sleep and her spirit departs. There was a thing that said, uh, um, never again shall I bear a child for strength that would have nourished the life of many has gone forth into Feanor. Almost like he selfishly took all of that um, and, and, and may we say burn it up in, in the fire that the secret fire that, that heated him, uh, his ambitions. As if a secret fire were kindled in him. That's the that's the phrase that's used. Well, that's his name. Yeah. Spirit of fire. Spirit of fire. Yeah, Anor is uh, fire in in Elvish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody anybody want to opine on the significance of that secret fire part? Uh, I know in in back channels before we recorded, I had I messaged at, at one point and said, "Isn't this what uh, wasn't this what what the uh, initial fire was called at at the beginning, um, at the creation of the world?" But that's that was called the flame imperishable, with uh, mm-hmm. with capital letters. So he had a, he had a secret fire. Is that different from the flame imperishable? I think so, but possibly not. What what was it that Gandalf uses when he's talking to the to the Balrog in Lord of the Rings? Um, was that was that also flame, or is it me, fire? Let me look it up. Um, uh, I think it was. I thought it was flame. Okay. It, it uh, the flame flame of Anor, I think, is what he says. Um, let me. I'm gonna grab my paper. So, I don't know. I feel like secret is like never good, at least not in Tolkien. Yeah, that usually signals no, something. He evil says, or "I am a I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor." Hmm. So, if. 
Gandalf's got it too. <laughs> so is Secret Fire another name for the flame imperishable? Or is it something Tolkien failed to retcon? Maybe in his mind initially the secret fire was the same and he changed it in, in the Ainu Lindelay to the flame imperishable. Because you're right, secret normally does connote something evil and, and, and underhanded. Um, people that have secret councils, um, people that make powerful things in secret, you know, like uh, like Aule making the dwarves and nobody else knew about it. Um, granted, that was that was turned into something that was good, but that was at the will of Eru. That wasn't necessarily inherently good um, done by Aule. It was made to be good. But yeah, usually something something secret isn't good. There's definitely mixed signals on this one. I, I mm -hmm. we we talked about it at one point about Gandalf as mm -hmm. well. And I it's hard to know because even with with biblical language, you include that and it it just doesn't seem like it should be a good thing <laughs> in mm -hmm. so many ways. But then also sometimes, you know, you do have good good ways in which it's used so it's it's not a uh a clear word in these because of all these pieces that pull in two different directions like there um, are things that are secret about god but they're not secret because god's hiding them they're secret because our minds are too small to understand the depths of god right so there are there are parts of god's perfections that we will never understand not because God wishes them to be hidden from us, but because as creatures, we're too finite to to put those pieces together. Yeah. I did do a quick search, and, and some do think that it is an alias of the flame imperishable. Interesting. And I, I suppose what you could you could say is that there's a level of if it's tied to that, like a level of creativity, which you do see in Feanor, he's able to create mm -hmm. far and beyond what yeah. others are. And since he did take kind of the life force, if you will, of many, mm -hmm. you know, he has this extra, he's a lot, he's extra. What, what can we say? Boy, he, yes, he is extra, if nothing else. Mm. Yeah, master craftsman of the elves. Um, every every major work of of creation done by an elf in later later times will always be compared to Feanor. Um, and especially He's even a, a, an archivist and historian that's better than what is it, Rumil? <laughs> yeah. uh, man, he does it Dude. all, man. Yeah, is it is it Rumil? He he was. You know, just giving us some credit early on in the chapter. And then it's like, well, then Feanor is actually bettering his work. <laughs> he was he was the he made best, a language. He was the best historian for maybe four paragraphs. <laughs> so it's pretty disappointing there. Yeah, he um he was a master historian, <laughs> master craftsman, master uh um linguist. You know, it was his his uh, Elvish characters, uh, Noldor and Elvish, that was the lingua franca for a long time before it got banned. Um, 
so yeah, just kind of like a a superpower, uh, basically. Um, I think I'm kind of jumping ahead towards the end of this really long chapter that we're dealing with here. <laughs> um, but just how it it talked about how Melkor tried to take credit for what Feanor did, but then he said that he did it in secret. And there's that secret coming in again. Mm-hmm. And people doing things in secret is just not a great idea. It just seems like even if you mean it for good, there's just something. I mean, Feanor is ignoring the wise counsel and he does it in secret. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's good that he didn't do it with Melkor, but still. Don't keep secrets, people. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah, imagine not how perfect. bad that would have been. Oof. The book would have ended <laughs> right here. <laughs> Couple more chapters and then the that's it. End. Yeah. It's so funny because, like, like Fanor hates Melkor. Like he hates him deeply, and yet they are so alike. It's uncanny. Uh, and, and and they'll get more and more alike the more that we the more we read. But even at this point, uh, you know this the secret activity, the resentment of others. You know it, it's made pretty clear. Melkor out and out hates the Eldar. He hates the elves so much uh, for what for what they've done and and the way they reflect, the way they image Eru. Really. Um, being being image bearers of of Eru, who he hates the most, um, and if there aren't if there aren't great biblical uh, parallels to that, I don't know what it, what what there is. You know that that's uh that's part of uh our uh, that's part of our issues with uh uh with Noahic Covenant uh appreciation month, right? <laughs> In so many ways, it's an attempt to uh, erase the Imago Day from from people in in lots of different ways. While well, they push to edit their meat avatars, <laughs> yes, erasing their objective beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's What's so perplexing though is you have a character like Finn, or like you said, who hates. Melkor, and yet he's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to process you, you, that. You can hate evil and not be virtuous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because evil, like selfishness, two selfish people are not going to get along and mm-hmm. be like, right. "Oh yeah, that's a person that I can get along with." We're both very selfish. Mm-hmm. But two people who are selfless can get along because they're selfless you know that that that's so that the uh well virtue is uniting and sin is uh you know breaks people apart even if both sides are are sinful they they'll still uh they can still be at odds they can work together too not that sinners don't hang out with sinners but (laughs) sometimes it can cause fissures they they tend to not get along as well as as Christians do with other Christians. <laughs> not saying yeah. that Christians always get along, but there's there's really something to having a similar 
uh, to, to having a similar story of, of how you got where you are, you know, like the leveling that uh, redemption from sin, the effect that that has on human relationships, let alone reconciliation with God in your, your relationship to your creator, uh, primarily, obviously, but, but on a secondary level, uh, the walls that, that redemption breaks down between people, you know, uh, between ethnicities and socioeconomic status and all, all these other things, um, it really does bring people together in a way that um, hanging out and committing your favorite sins together does not. <laughs> yeah, and that's why, you know, it's so important that God, you know, gives us so many, like, positive, like, I'm trying not to sound like a prosperity gospel person, but that... <laughs> or a name it and claim it we're supposed to be positive but like that you're called to love you know you're, you're called to love god like it's things that you're called to do it's not just hate sin hate the devil hate this that and the other it's really the only reason that we do hate those things is because we love god mm -hmm. and we love his commandments and we know you know that's even like just what you were saying, Nick, it kind of made me think I'm I'm going to try real hard not to get like political because that's not what we do. But it wow. makes me think of that when you have the kind of a religious um, Christian in name only or just not Christian, but conservative side versus the liberal side. It's just it's ugly on both sides. Mm -hmm. And and so you you definitely see that when two things hate each other but they don't really have any positive because evil and i we could slot in hate for this hate can't make you love anything right evil can't right. create something it has to twist things that are good and make them evil so hate will never create a relationship it will never repair anything it will only uh corrupt things that are good um, one of the things I love, and it's a uh, a great sermon, and it's it's in its own like um, short book collection in Crossway, but it's the expulsive power of a new affection by Thomas Chalmers. Um, and that like even just the title alone says so much. Like the power of not not hating. Obviously, we hate our sin, but we hate our sin because we have a new affection. Uh, mm -hmm. And that and that's what pushes us forward. Um, it's expulsive. It, it pushes the other things out of the way. Uh, but it's it's not. It's it's our hatred of sin is fueled by love, actually, by by affection, uh, which is totally backwards to, to not only like what the world thinks, like the how the world thinks things work, but also what the world thinks of us. You know, we hate the things we hate because we love God and we love his glory. And therefore, we hate the things that detract from his glory and actually um, actually hide his glory. Yeah. And even though, like, Christians do have sin and, and you know, mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of issues. Oh, yeah. With, oh, yeah. <laughs> but but kind of like what you're saying is that we Christians do have a unified goal of mm -hmm. God's glory or should. Um, and so that is a unified goal. And then when you're talking about somebody who's not a Christian, 
they may have overlapping goals. They may, you know, they may get along with this person or that person, but in some way they have different goals of, of self like, and, and those selves are not the same selves. Each person has their own goal of selfishness that is their own. Um, and, And not that Christians are not selfish sometimes. And, you know, we still have all that, but we try at least to um to grow towards god's glory as being our yeah um, that selfishness should be the exception not the rule right yeah um we always have to clarify that maybe shouldn't can't we just be perfect <laughs> <laughs> what is that like the wesleyan holiness mm-hmm. <laughs> yes we yeah. can yeah, you get that second work of grace, and and it's all up upward and and outward from here. Yeah, yeah. You'll never you'll never sin again. You'll just make mistakes. Never sin again. Or just like Todd White, like yeah, in nine years or whatever he said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One new man <laughs> oh, or whatever. Mm. Yeah. So it you sounds know, it's nice. It, it man doesn't it though? It really does. Yeah, I take preach. it, but no, not sure. <laughs> I have my doubts on uh, parts of it. <laughs> you know, I think a helicopter is about to hit my house. <laughs> Gosh, my windows are vibrating. We'll make sure to Breathe. give you a nice eulogy. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Remember me when I'm gone. You won't. This we'll is why weep, they'll remember. We'll weep you. by your grave like Finway. Yes, as I pass. Then we'll dig you up and see if your body actually decomposes. Yeah. (laughs) Put it on the calendar. We'll check in like 10 years or so. We'll see how it goes. Yes. Put me in a time capsule. St. Zatch Day. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That sounds awesome. What would I be the patron saint of? Grandpa's. (laughs) Prune juice. 3D printed fish. (laughs) Helicopters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know I, i'm i'm intrigued at how we got onto uh the subject of of uh selfishness and whatnot it it, it makes sense with with fanor but i think it especially shows uh in his uh relatively doomed marriage as well <laughs> i feel I, the real loser in this chapter is his poor wife nerdanel i really feel terrible for her yeah and the first thing we should feel terrible about is whoever gave her that name <laughs> it literally starts with nerd <laughs> her parents are like let's just name this nerd <laughs> her pet name was nerd <laughs> Nerd. Yeah, nerd and L. Man. Yeah. What a what a great name. Uh I like the description of her. Nerd and L was also firm of will, but more patient than Feanor, desiring to understand minds rather than to master them. And at first she restrained him when the fire of his of his heart grew too hot, but his later deeds grieved her and they became estranged. Hmm. I can't imagine it's it's easy to to be husband to the guy who's who uh, basically killed his mother. I know it's June, but <laughs> you meant wife. 
Oh yeah, wife. Sorry for him for him to be your husband. Whatever. Yeah, I'm so it tired. It can't be easy to be husband to that guy. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah, it's not an incorrect statement. Be easier to be his wife than his husband. <laughs> that was good. That was good, Lee. Good job. But yes, true story. They would not. I can't imagine. It's like the world's largest narcissist, second to Melkor. Yeah. And Sauron, the, I guess. The last sentence of the, the chapter, she gets another mention there. And it says, for Feanor was driven by the fire of his, his own heart only, working ever swift alone. And he asked the aid and sought the counsel of none that dwelt in Amon, great or small, save only and for a little while of Nerdnell the Wise, his wife. So she's the only one who could kind of restrain him, but it wasn't for very long. Um, mm. and, she uh, was a real Proverbs 31 woman, though. Yeah. I mean, she stuck by him. They had seven sons. She was probably grateful to have some company, although his sons were, were real uh, works of art as well. Uh, they really took after a lot of them really took after their dad. It says some of them took after her too. They did. They did. Some of them did. Um, yeah, they, some, they're, but not all the, the, you know, those, those bad boys though, they do. They remind me a lot of, of Joseph's brothers, like very, just like punks in like desperate to do the wrong thing. <laughs> and like like I said before, you know, we'll we'll see that we'll see that really happen. But um, and then com contrast that with his brother, with his half, with Fanor's half brothers, uh, by Indus. You know, Finn Golfin is like one of the biggest heroes of uh, of the First Age. Um, he's he's awesome. Um, you know, all all of Finway's sons made made their mark in a certain way, but. Uh, Feanor's was certainly, you know, the biggest, the biggest mark and the darkest one. Okay, I want to, <laughs> I want to read a, I want to read a quote. Um, so I, I brought it up here on my stinking Kindle. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the long quote and maybe we can, uh, we can riff on it a little bit because I think it's interesting. Um, so the wedding of his father was not pleasing to Feanor, and he had no great love for Indus nor for Fingolfin or Finarfin, her sons. Uh, he lived apart from them, exploring the land of Amman or busying himself with the knowledge and the crafts in which he delighted. So he's going on more and more isolating himself and doing works in secret, which is not healthy. Uh, in those unhappy things which later came to pass, spoiler alert, and in which Feanor was the leader, many saw the effect of this breach within the house of Finway, Judging that if Finway had endured his loss, um, judging, judging that if Finway had endured his loss and been content with the fathering of his mighty son, the courses of Feanor uh, would have been otherwise, and great evil might have been prevented. For the sorrow and the strife in the house of Finway is graven in the memory of the Noldoran elves. But the children of Indus were great and glorious, and their children also. And if they had not lived, the history of the Eldar would have been diminished. 
I so when I was reading again this 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 long quote struck me because you know in on one hand you know is is Finway somewhat responsible for the events that happened uh at, at by Fanor's hand uh because of his going on to to be married uh, I love Zach's I like your reaction I I can't wait to hear what you have Ooh. to say <laughs> and, and then it gives the silver lining where but but also if they hadn't been married there you know Fingolfin and Finarfin wouldn't have entered the world and their deeds were so excellent and magnificent that that uh, you know I think their deeds alone staved off the the sunset of the Eldar uh in, in a lot of ways so Zach what's your take uh it it seems can you imagine can you imagine like you you lose your spouse and then you you find someone who makes you happy again after that and and something bad happens with your child right but then other people are like well if you had just you know not gotten married again this wouldn't have happened can you can you imagine mm-hmm. what kind of reaction you would have to that like that i would be livid mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but these people are basically like it's like a historian looking back right like if he hadn't have done this everything would have been great but his option had he known that right Mm-hmm. It would have been like, okay, maybe I'll just, you know, deal with my loss mm-hmm. forever, literally forever. Um, but why would you intentionally live your life in a state of misery? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a what is it asceticism mm-hmm. yeah to, to purposely <laughs> inflict pain or or discomfort on yourself yeah there's there's no there's no reason for it um it just seems silly to me but you know if you can if you have the advantage of being able to understand the significance of the passage of time then yeah maybe you maybe you just Hey, I'll just be miserable. Not me though. Well, Feanor is. Just I'm like so a glad. Slow... I'm so glad you got to do it this time, Zach. I'm really happy. I thought we were gonna make it through without acknowledging it. Uh, like we're professionals no, I now. I can't. I just. I can't. It <laughs> makes me so happy. Maybe yeah. one day I will. But there's a space on your bingo. It's like a free space. <laughs> 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 but Feanor legit is like a spoiled only child, which I don't think any of us here are spoiled only children. I'm sorry if our two listeners are also spoiled <laughs> only children, but it's like he just needs to get over himself. Um, I don't know, but I I think it was probably it was already doomed from the beginning. Um. But yeah, I, I, 
it is interesting like you can look back on any major thing in history like oh if only we hadn't done this and that would have not happened but then you see the good that comes out of those things and that's just the way god works through stuff mm -hmm. even the bad things so yeah. it's just kind of legitimately necessary evils sometimes um but i don't know fanor's uh he's like the incarnate like hubris of the elves you know he's just all pride and mm -hmm. he can't handle not being the star of the show fanor did nothing wrong <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm gonna defend him real quick. I put me put me as his lawyer, all right? I'm my client okay. is, you know, pleading the fifth right now. And I'm gonna but I'm gonna defend him. Um okay, so it talks about Indus. Do we does she show up like really anywhere else? She's gone, not to right? my not to my recollection, but it's her I mean, sons. Kids, everybody talks about. We're not going to judge her based right. on her children. Okay, right. What we can judge her on is that she is in all ways unlike Muriel, mm -hmm. who I think was a good a good woman, and if she was a good woman, that means Indus is an evil woman, and Feanor was right. <laughs> He upset his father for oh, marrying her. Man, I rest my case. <laughs> the prosecution has nothing. You win. Plus, she was golden haired and tall, so she's like a colonizer. <laughs> Thank you. Keeping all the dark haired elves down. Not fair. <laughs> Time for justice. Yeah. That isn't really a serious thing, but in what ways is she unlike? Is it just in physical appearance? Does that mean that, that Muriel's short? Are elves short? Um, yeah, I've like never what? known that elves would, would be like significantly shorter than anyone else, especially at this point. I could see like the woodland elves maybe being shorter than other elves because they're you know, living in the trees and kind of camouflaging or whatnot. But at this point, everybody's just living in paradise. So what, uh, in what way is she unlike, unlike Muriel? Maybe it's she, she was stronger in character and could put up maybe with more. Maybe she was an introvert and Muriel was an extrovert. Okay. <laughs> she, she was All stingier right. with the life force in her, which is why she had more than one son. I don't um, know. That sounds... That makes sense. And they had four children total, right? I believe I so. Two sons and two daughters. Yes. I think. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, and, and it is weird. She really doesn't get any more mentions anywhere else either. It's kind of like, oh, she's uh, Fingolfin and Finarfin's mom. Weren't they cool? Which, by the way, I feel like every time I hear Finarfin, it's like one of those like Christianese like safe swear words that you could say. <laughs> I'm Finarfin around over here. <laughs> like stub your toe, Finarfin. 
and just follow me for more tips. <laughs> you know, it's funny in early drafts of uh, the Silmarillion, uh, the Noldor were just called the gnomes. And there's like other little silly names too that like I'm really glad Tolkien changed this <clears throat> to Noldor, but I I swear like Finarfin and Nerdanel, like these names are like holdover <laughs> names from those early drafts, and we're not properly Tolkienified. <laughs> I definitely heard, agree I've, on Nerdanel. I've heard some like if you watch some of the like YouTube, the Lord of the Rings nerd stuff. <laughs> um, I always love how sometimes they like pronounce the names. They're like very exotic. Mm. So I probably can't do it, but I heard mm -hmm. like Nerdanel. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So they say it like that, and then it doesn't sound so bad. Yeah. They, they do funny things with like the R's sometimes and yeah. the L's. I remember I, I I watched somebody do a scathing critique of anybody that that called that that referred to the mountain that Monway lives on as Tani Quetil. And they were really mad at the guy that read the audiobook because he said Tani Quetil. And it no, it's pronounced Taniquatil. And like the guy got all up on up in arms about it. Like, I don't know. They, they both sound like weird names. <laughs> and without an accent mark, like, how are you supposed to know? Yeah, how would you know that? Well, apparently, uh if you look at the uh the the grammatical rules of of Elvish and and all this stuff. I'm like, that that's a level of nerd I will never attain. If that makes me less of a Tolkien fan, I will I will wear that badge, but uh, I I will never I, I will never be able to get to get to that level. Yeah, wear it like a cream cheese hat of honor. Yes. We should get you a literal <laughs> thing that says less of a Tolkien fan. Like an actual badge. If we ever get to the part where we have merch, that would be great merch. You can have like levels and then the bottom. Like or the top level would be like ten equatil <laughs> versus this. It it'll be the it'll be the new shibboleth. Yeah, we've we've probably already, or at least I have already scared people away that are hardcore on pronunciations because I yeah I'm like in my mind I read it and I'm like that's what it says and I hear someone else I'm like oh, or not oh could be this <laughs> definitely other been day. saying that wrong this whole time. <laughs> Yeah, just put it through Google Translate. Deal with it. I'm if just really proud that I know how to say the C's right. Oh yeah, Celeborn instead of Celeborn, yeah. for example. Yeah, it's not Celeborn. Yeah, yeah. Celeborn. Um. So yeah. So in the middle of the chapter, we we get a split off from the the Feanor story, and then we talk about Melkor, who's been. Chained up since uh, Tulkas gave him a black eye a couple chapters ago, and uh, and he's been on trial and in the in the drunk tank for a while, um, and so now they they bring him out basically for his uh, parole hearing, <laughs> which is basically what this is. Three ages, three ages. It's a long time. What it's is just that like, Zach? Like we, none of us have experienced that. What are three ages like? It's uh, <laughs> like any other thing where you, you know, live through time. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. <laughs> Ask me was, again later. 
I was calling you old. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I was I was implying that you've lived three ages. Three ages. Like yeah. That's... Thousands of years or whatever. Yeah. It it feels like it sometimes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But you're not that old. Especially, you know, the longer we go on with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So three ages he's been in in the halls of in the duress of Mandos. Uh so it obviously it's it's been some work to keep him uh locked up. Um but he was brought before the thrones of the Valar and I love the I love this quote I highlighted it. Uh then he so he's before the Valar now in the throne room. Then he looked upon their glory and their bliss and envy was in his heart. He looked upon the children of Iluvatar that sat at the feet of the mighty, meaning of Monwe, and hatred filled him. He looked upon the wealth of bright gems, which were probably all of Thanor's making, and he lusted for them. But he hid his thoughts and postponed his vengeance. All of the toxic things we just talked about before are all things that that he did in the span of this one paragraph. Mm -hmm. Envy, selfishness, secret secret thoughts that he won't tell anybody about, and he'll act otherwise in in delaying his his bad behavior for for an opportune time. Yeah, yeah, there. It's a good list there. It's a good list. I don't. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, my hot take is uh, Melkor's a jerk. Mm. <laughs> Melkor did nothing wrong. You heard it here <laughs> first, folks. As Melkor's attorney. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a criminal he's, defense lawyer. He's he's pleading the fifth. <laughs> We're gonna talk through. We'd like to. We'd like a little bit of an extension because I've got to figure this out. This is gonna be a difficult one for me, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> the man's been in prison three ages. He has no friends on the outside to bond him out. We, we need some time <laughs> to craft this case. <laughs> well, except for Nienna, apparently. Yeah, I was. So I was gonna ask about that. The one person really who speaks up. For him is Nienna, the Vala of crying. <laughs> Basically. I saw it as like a pity, like mm -hmm. she mm -hmm. contributed to pitying him. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm sure he's very good at making himself pitiable too. Yeah, I'm a sucker for pity. Like if my kids get in trouble and they're like, they're just really just sad because I took away their Nintendo Switch, but they're like got the pouty lip going i'm like oh okay fine <laughs> <laughs> so maybe i'm a little bit of me boys this is your know. signal <laughs> get your switch back <laughs> <laughs> she's weak mel melcor can you cry <laughs> jur jur number six well, he, had to a, he had to abase himself so yeah, I guess that's his version of crying. He he cried and the tear froze as it went down his godly cheek. Because <laughs> of his his power, all of yeah. his what was it like hot ice? Yeah, he, he so he fire he was ice. a master of not only yeah fire 
and like lava and stuff, but also ice. And his initial fortress was was under was under ice. Mm-hmm. Um, and people don't really think about that with the Dark Lord because we have Sauron in our minds and Mordor and all the fires, but mm-hmm. um, Melkor is just as much ice cold as he is burning hot. He's cooler than cool. <laughs> so yeah, so he so he abases himself, tries to give himself the best representation, self-representation as possible because Nick wasn't there to to take his case before Monway. Yeah. Never talk to them without your attorney. Yeah, exactly. He should have he should have said attorney right away. I want my phone um, call. <laughs> I will say it's interesting though how um it says here that Monway being free from evil, like just had a hard time fathoming him staying evil. And I, I do think that that's I mean, obviously I'm not free from evil. I'm a sinner like the rest mm-hmm. of us. But there is that element when you're generally like you have goodwill towards other people, mm-hmm. you tend mm-hmm. to believe it's easier to be deceived by people that act that way because mm-hmm. you think that they think like you do. Mm-hmm. And so we can be prone to being gullible if you're not careful. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he, how else would he know, I guess? Right, because he's not all knowing. Because Manway, none of the Valar are all knowing. Only Eru the One knows everything, and so they're they're just acting on delegated power from Eru. And so, yeah, so without without experience of knowing evil, the only evil they knew was from Melkor. And if he's saying he's going back on it now. I could see the temptation to want to embrace him. Finally, he's come around. You know, mm-hmm. after all these, after all this time, after the war that we fought, finally he's come around. There's that, it's interesting too how almost like really the only one that's not. It says he's not deceived. And, and I wonder. You said, yeah, Tol- Tolkos was like ready to fight all the time he, he's been on him like stink on a skunk for yeah. a long yes. time Tulkas doesn't forget <laughs> yeah so based slow, slow to wrath and slow to forget it's kind of slow but yeah but i wonder what it is about ulmo like is it in a sense he's not omniscient but because water is everywhere like maybe he knows the schemes more because he can I, I think he's the most acquainted with the evil of Melkor because he spends all of his time in Middle Earth and he's seen mm-hmm. all of the the wreck that was made on the landscape of Middle Earth uh, in the course of the war. Um, I think he's the most familiar with the works of Melkor um, in the schemes, the hatred that he has, um, and and what effects he's he's had on the world. And he lives in the music. He lives. I mean, he really. I think of of truly, in my opinion, of all of the Valar, Ulmo is the most in tune with with uh, the music of Eru. Mm-hmm. They say that Monway is closest in mind to Eru, but 
I think Umo Umo gets more things than Monway does. But Monway is the old, he's like the opposite of Umo, right? Because he sits on top of Taniquatil all the time. And <laughs> his eagles are the ones that are in Middle Earth looking around and reporting back to him. Mm-hmm. He's he's completely separate from the creation. There's one other character here who I do not think was deceived. It doesn't say it explicitly, but I think Mandos's silence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that says everything. I think that says quite a bit. And he's going to have a lot of that familiarity with Melkor from basically chilling with him for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I think he he's in that camp as well. Mm-hmm. Um knowing and he, he's probably the one who has the most experience with evil because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I know Omo saw it manifesting, but um, but Mandos is kind of like the, uh, you know, going and visiting, uh, going and visiting Hannibal Lecter in prison uh, <laughs> kind of thing, you know, gets to well, know him pretty well. And he's he's kind of the guy. I know it's not made explicit, but he's kind of the guy for whom justice is kind of his um, his nature. You know, like he's not exactly a judge, but like being the one that holds, you know, death or, you know, the chains of eternity. You know, I, I think I think he has a Mandos has an innate sense of justice that that perhaps Others don't because of that straddling both worlds. I wonder if Muriel ever had an interaction with Melkor, <laughs> right? Cause she's in the halls of Mandos when her spirit passes away. I don't know if this is like a Shaol, like two section kind of, kind of thing where like, she's over here chilling, you know, where, where the, uh, where the righteous live. And then Melkor's over here in this other side, the more condemned jail type side, or if they were ever able to actually interact. I like to think of it. I know that this is a fictional story and everything, but I'm going to go ahead and give my opinion, which is that it is. There's a section where he was chained up and the only time he experienced interaction with other people was when Mandos would bring him his three square meals a day. (laughs) Uh, And for the rest of the time, he was left to, you know, reflecting on, on his actions, his three chunks of ice, (laughs) three squares of ice a day. That's my thought. That seems fitting. Like of all the people that should have solitary confinement for three ages, it it would be Melkor, right? It is interesting how I went, I flipped back to the coming of the elves chapter where Melkor's locked up that Mondos is definitely a a valor of few words. Mm -hmm. Because that, at one point, he's it says he broke his silence, saying, "So it is doomed," which yeah. we talked about. But he just he doesn't say a lot. Yeah, he's the Vala with with. If he has a desk, it has the thing that says the buck stops here on his <laughs> desk. 
And when you're that guy, you really don't have to say a lot. Like you take counsel and then you make your decision and, and it's done. He's like the Ron Swanson that like spins his desk around while you're trying to talk to him <laughs> <laughs> and pretends you're not there. I will now forever imagine Monway <laughs> with that mustache. <laughs> In a glass of bourbon on his desk. Because <laughs> clear alcohol is for women. <laughs> that's, he, that's what he said on the show. Oh. <laughs> Thought you were just it must be a Presbyterian thing. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> so they so they do let so they do let him free. Um you know, let's let's that line though, because since we already talked about um Tulkus and Olmo not being deceived, um, they didn't speak up though, they didn't rebel against the order, and and Tolkien has that line. Um, so good too. Yeah, where he says, but they obeyed the judgment of Manwe for those who will defend authority against rebellion must not themselves rebel. What a mic drop moment. Yeah. That was <clears throat> quite the quote. It's so good. That is a tendency that I struggle with, I would say. Um, in defending authority, rebelling sometimes. Uh, I think that that is something that where I I am not like them. Well, you're an uh, American. Yeah, I think this is yeah. Tolkien's dig against the Americans. Yeah, <laughs> but in some right. sense, you know, that was brought up to me because I struggle. Like I am a rule follower. Like I didn't was not about wearing the masks, but like I go to Home Depot and there's all the signs about wearing the masks and I'm like about to break out in hives because <laughs> my husband's not wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh my gosh. But um, you know, it was brought up to me that like, you know, in our case we have a democracy. It it gives us the right, you know, and they don't have the the right to mandate those things so that was helpful like you're not actually mm -hmm. being a rebel against authority you're saying mm -hmm. you actually don't have the legal have authority to do these things yeah, so it's yeah. not the same as being a rebel <laughs> you're actually holding them accountable to their mm -hmm. level of authority that they have yeah except i enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> as you ought to as an american america yeah i, I should take so. pleasure in liberty <laughs> yeah right. i guess that's true Freedom, baby. <laughs> that is, you know, I have a book that I haven't read yet. I started to, but I didn't have the chance. Um, I want to say it was Sam Waldron's book. I can't remember. I know he wrote a book about the revolution. But there's the question of should should they have, you know, mm -hmm. biblically speaking, like should should that yeah. have happened or not? I don't know. That's always, it's probably a topic for another day, but. Yeah, because it wasn't completely clear at the time. There were still lots of debate in the moment. Uh, good people, good people on both sides, you know, that yeah. wanted to stay with the crown and others that wanted to be emancipated. Well, and it comes down to like the, uh, like when you think of those who stayed in the Anglican church, 
church or the church of England, you know, Mm -hmm. during the time before that, you know, with the Puritans Mm -hmm. and whether or not, you know, some like didn't necessarily agree with it, but they didn't want to seem schismatic. Yeah. Whereas others felt that they, that their, you know, um, conscience Mm -hmm. required that it's just, an interesting conversation and then the ones who stayed and thought they were doing the right thing got expelled anyway <laughs> right that's what they you get also for, that's what you get for your loyalty right they also beheaded the king right they did well i mean <laughs> they did uh they did a little posh. bit more <laughs> they they did a little bit more uh yeah as well. and now we've got a new charles yeah what what mischief could we have I think quite a bit. The pagan. <laughs> I want. A, I want to quantify just how much. King. Yeah. Yeah. So. Did y'all? Did any of you watch the coronation? Yeah, I did. I watched. I watched some of it. I didn't get to watch all of it, but it was. Uh, it was disgusting. It, it was the. It was properly disgusting. I thought it was weird that they had all of the faith leaders of all the different pagan religions handing handing the uh, the items to the king. Yeah, that just goes to show you how, like, kind of global. I'm like, maybe he is a Christian because, like, he's going through, like, you know, pledging his mm-hmm. stance for how he's going to proclaim Jesus Christ. And I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. They go in and do, like, some sort of secret mass thing in the mm-hmm. back. And then come out and then he goes and chats up with like literally all these other world religions <laughs> and i was like what yeah yeah so progressive and, the, and the lady the lady that was like in charge of the altar guild or whatever the thing was carrying the sword the whole time too like she looked like a plant like a stewardess she, she did that outfit was so weird she really did look <laughs> like she should have been working on an airplane <laughs> It was weird. It was so there was weird. A, there was a rumor that, that he was going to change the title, his title of Defender of the Faith to Defender of the Faiths or Defender oh. of of Faith. Oh. Uh, I don't know if they actually went through with that or if mm. he kept Defender of the Faith. But I mean, mm. if if the head of your church, which he is, he is the head Legally, of the, yes. the Church of England. Mm-hmm. If the head of your church is defender of the faiths or just defender of, of faith, which, you know, vaguely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Somebody called. Just so assume there are quote marks on every word I've used. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie's over here, like getting exercise from doing quote marks on all these things because exercise, <laughs> exercise, England, quote, unquote. Yeah. All of these King, words, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know what whether you know what title he ended up keeping. Um, but that's the one that um, Henry the Eighth got before he decided to to split to get divorced. I mean, reform. Yeah. <laughs> I just I think at the end of the day, old old King Alfred would be so upset. That that his his England has become this. I think I think he would be very sad. Yeah, we should dig him up. So <laughs> civilizations fall. 
as we were talking about earlier in the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the corruption. Yeah. The first king. He was like the best one. The best, the first maybe king the greatest England. one. He might have yeah. been the greatest one. Might have been. I guess we'll have to dig him up to make sure that like confirmed. But it, just like Alfred Washington the being the best, the best president, right? You you peak yeah. early at the noontide, and it's just a, a slow descent from there. Mm-hmm. But we don't call him George Washington the Great. No, maybe we should. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Although he was well, we 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 call him George yeah. Washington of the bad dentures. <laughs> I can go into so many conspiracy theories right now. I'm just not going <laughs> to shut Although it down. I, I still maintain that that Calvin Coolidge was our greatest president. Man, come on. Forever Cleveland. He was clearly. the man. It was no. It was clearly Grover Cleveland. No, no president out of New York has ever <laughs> been the greatest president. I- and that counts for Donald Trump. I think you take it back right now. <laughs> two, two of the best presidents have been from New York because Martin Van Buren, he's he's up there, too. <sighs> OK, so. Yeah, Van New Buren York is like cool. New York's like the best state for presidents. I don't think that, that that still holds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> L- laugh sarcastically in FDR. <laughs> Uh, uh, and would so uh, again not to go too political but i listen to uh jonah goldberg's podcast the remnant sometimes and for the last few years uh you know every time he'll go on an anti woodrow wilson rant who is the worst american president um they play the mordor theme from lord of the rings behind him as he talks about woodrow wilson (laughs) and i think it's the best I like the, it. The the former producer was a big Tolkien fan and uh they introduced it when he was running the show. And uh it's it's amazing. It's it's great. That is their version of uh the significance of the passage of time for us. It's like a little Easter egg. <laughs> nice. I recently I like switched and allowed Wilson to become he he took that first first place spot of the worst president. Good. Um FDR, man, he's put in a good effort though. Put in yeah. a great effort, but he had more time. You know, it was a very competitive race to the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> did did y'all school like? I went to public school. Most of our middle schools and elementary schools were named after presidents. Mm-hmm. Is that terrible yeah. ones? The bad yeah, ones. Yeah, mine. I went to huh. LBJ. All of ours Ooh. are named after Ooh. Confederate presidents. So <laughs> every school is Robert E. Lee High School. You know. I was now homeschooled. They have to burn the whole school down. Yeah. My school was named after Christ. Ooh. So I got you all beat. Yeah. Yeah, Ultimate you were the Jesus fortunate Duke. homeschooled one. <laughs> Jesus himself taught my class. I started out. I started out at Hope Christian. And then, and then I went to a public school for 
for second grade where the now in hindsight I remember as a second grader thinking that my teacher was cuckoo because she would tell us that the rock in her class could hear us and if we got too loud it would hurt its feelings and I was like she's insane now that I'm an adult with children I was like she is a genius (laughs) I was like how she was trying to keep all of these kids quiet was like you're gonna hurt the pet rock's feelings if you're too loud brilliant yeah genius that's brilliant that me as a seven-year-old was like this chick's crazy get me out of here but in your little rule follower heart did did it help you i was i was a bit more depraved um, as a second grader (laughs) i probably (laughs) did though you stupid rock (laughs) you deserve (laughs) you deserve to be made fun of you dumb rock (laughs) I would chuck you in my driveway and no one could find you. So here, here, I'll do like a little confession. When uh, that time period, everyone was losing their canine teeth and they were growing in. So I told all the kids that they're turning into vampires. (laughs) And I freaked myself out. Like I believed my own lie. So we had to go to the nurse's office because we were all crying. Like, What's the th- like being hoisted on your own petard? Is, <laughs> is that a version of that? Something like that. <laughs> Can you imagine was- how great it would have been, though, if you were right? Yeah. I made a cool movie. It would have been undying seventh graders. That's that's basically a YA novel series. Oh, Harry, Harry Potter meets Twilight. Ugh. That might be why I still glitter in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Which can we just say why why glittering vampires? Makes no hmm. sense to I me. Know. I don't even feel like I want to even bring that into this podcast, but when people started saying that, I literally thought that they meant like the vampires were putting on like sunblock. <laughs> to like reflect the light yeah but no it's just like the nature of vampires in that in that terrible enterprise in that terrible series see that's what makes here we'll bring it all back that's what makes that type of fiction terrible mm-hmm. is that you don't follow what you're supposed to follow like in mm-hmm. tolkien the evil thing is mm-hmm. the evil thing yeah and Twilight, uh, apparently you can redeem vampires and make them glittering. Or or the stories where you can Batman. um where you train a dragon, you know, and make the dragon your yeah. friend. It's not supposed to oh, work that way. Oh, but it's so cool though. That, yeah, yeah. That it's movie spoiled me. Like, I want a dragon. Dragon tails, dragon tails. <laughs> can you still be saved wow. in like dragons? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Yes. No, okay. <laughs> I guess I'm going to go to hell. No, I do think so. Can. The the sparkly vampires <laughs> don't don't they break one of your rules for literature, Nick? Sparkly about, vampires about messing with. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember how you worded it. Like messing messing with something for no reason. Uh, like need this. Oh, yeah. oh crap! I forget. I forget Embracing how you worded like creativity for like. No, no reason. reason. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like playing with we, playing you, with tropes in a terrible way. That, that it's becoming add its own trope. Like it's the yeah. trope is now that you're undoing a trope. 
Yeah. Like yeah. that year. Yeah. Like, like now fast it's zombies. Re- yeah, it's the redemption story of the evil wicked witch, how she really was just misunderstood and was the good guy all along. Mm-hmm. The maleficent movie. Exactly. Oh, I was but thinking they're all of wicked. <laughs> yeah. Imagine somebody doing like That's- a uh like a like a postmodern retelling of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but from the White Witch's perspective, you know that kind of a thing, or Wicked, like Wicked. The, yeah, the play. I just yeah, wanted to trick was, this little boy. Yeah, she was like she. Like, I just drag, wanted to share the Turkish delight story hour. <laughs> it's like drag drag queen story hour, trying to get the kids to come see your show. <laughs> And all the close-minded right-wingers wouldn't let right. the children. This stupid lion <laughs> took him away. <laughs> <laughs> this is the world my kids are inheriting. I'm so excited. <laughs> Upside down oh, world. Yeah. Amazing. Sorry. Thanks to y'all and your pride month memes that's like on the forefront of my mind right now (laughs) well if it wasn't the memes it would be something else that would make it uh, arrive at the forefront i like to stay in my little cocoon safe from all the crazies (laughs) you know it's it's kind of funny that like what it says about your times when when like escapism is reading like medieval fiction <laughs> or, or fiction based on medieval tropes like Tolkien. Like the fact that we're escaping to the medieval world really says a lot about right. what's going on in popular culture. I'm just going to go read some stories about Vlad the Impaler just to make myself feel better. <laughs> you read Dracula and make jokes about the blue for lady, you know? <laughs> It's Man, dark times. I'm having some Dracula nostalgia. I am ready to go there again. Oh, oh, so okay, so maybe for the last item of this episode, I don't know if I sent this to you guys, but there is um there's a, a sub stack that goes out as a newsletter, um, and it's Dracula Daily, and it follows the dates <clears throat> of um the, the diary entries in Dracula, and it emails them to you each day as it occurs uh, in the diaries. Uh, so it started at the beginning of May, and uh, it is very interesting to read it that way, practically in real time. Yeah. Dracula Daily is what it's called. I'll, I'll have to share the link. It's pretty interesting. I think just, it is. Just skip Lucy's letters. <laughs> yeah, those were those were tough. Just Just skip the whole thing. What How dare you get out of How, here? How dare you? You're fired. It was easy. I just did it. <laughs> Go take your NyQuil, Grandpa. I'm about to. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you one and all for joining us this evening uh, and uh, and reading along with us. We will be back uh, in our next episode, either with the next chapter or some other miscellaneous topic that more interests us at that moment. Until then, may Manwe keep you in the one, and peace out. Peace. Peace out.
Um, do we do we want to go on in this episode and talk about the unchaining of Melkor, or do we want to break here and do a separate episode on Melkor? It doesn't matter to me, but I want to. If we do split it, it's I'd rather do a little outro and then come back in to sound more official. I, will. I don't know how I don't know how long we've actually been talking on this so far. It's probably close to an hour. I would say do it now so that we don't take too long on a five-page chapter. It's we want our listeners to. We want our list. Well, hopefully, all four of us make it to the end of the Silmarils before we we die. That would be good. (laughs) That would be good. Zach may not make it. To the end of this one, though, <laughs> this episode, let alone oh the, the rest Thank of the book. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, the undying. Yeah. We got to hurry it up for Gramps over there. 